Take your Bibles this morning, turn with me to Matthew chapter 26, Matthew chapter 26 in your Bibles this morning, good to see you today. I enjoyed the little bit of rain that we had, and um, now the grass can start to grow again, right? Isn't that what you want? Nice green lawns. Matthew chapter 6, I do want to say thank you too to those who worked in our Vacation Bible School this week. Thank you very much for your service. And um, one of you in particular would deliver a whole tray of cookies to the office every day, all week long. And uh, so I think I've gained about five pounds this week, thanks to those cookies. So if you, I just want you to know if you made cookies and delivered them, I'm not going to rate them, but there were some wonderful cookies that were delivered this week, and I enjoyed them really uh, very, very much. And uh, it'll take me a while to get rid of those, I think. Uh, so thank you. Yeah, Katie, was, Katie McBride was the one who delivered cookies to the office every day. And uh, so if I don't live as long as I was going to, you'll know to blame her. All right. Uh, Matthew chapter 26 is where you're at. I want to read this passage. We're not going to preach through this this morning in the time that we have. We're going to go somewhere else. But I want you to read this with me in Matthew 26. Um, I'll begin reading here in verse number 26. And the, the passage that we're looking at is Jesus is in the upper room uh, with his disciples. It's the night before he was betrayed by Judas Iscariot. And um, they're partaking, they're, they're celebrating the Passover. And it's the Lord's Supper. And um, Jesus has just identified who's going to betray him. Um, Judas has left the room, and now in verse 26, the Bible says this, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Now, of course, he, he broke the bread, he passed the bread around, so the bread is, was not literally his body, but it was a picture of his body. Look at verse number 27. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament. And the word testament means covenant. Um, there are many covenants in the Bible, and many times a covenant was ratified uh, by blood being shed. And the New Covenant... Uh, was ratified by the blood, not of a goat or of a lamb um, uh, or an animal of some kind, but this new covenant, uh, this promise from God to mankind that God would save mankind from sin and death and hell was ratified by the blood, the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says this in verse 28, for this is my blood of the new Covenant, the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And I want you to look at that word remission just for a moment. The word remission means forgiveness. And so really what Jesus was saying here, he's in the upper room. The disciples don't know what's about to happen. They're about to leave the upper room. They're about to go uh, walk down from where the upper room would have been across the brook Kidron up into the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, Jesus uh, and his disciples had gone there often to retreat and to pray and to get alone and to get away. But this was going to be different than any other time before. And the disciples had no idea what was about to take place. They had no idea that this particular night, Judas Iscariot was going to betray Jesus with a kiss. And that Jesus was going to be taken and tried illegally against their own law throughout that particular night. And by the next day, he would be dead on a cross. And the disciples, as I'm reading this passage to you at this point, they had no idea that any of that was going to happen. And Jesus was telling them, he was telling them, he was instituting something, and that was the Lord's Supper. We, we will do it this morning. And we do it because the Lord Jesus Christ has commanded us to do it. We, we take of bread. It doesn't taste very good. It's uh, unleavened bread. And uh, we don't eat it for the enjoyment. We do it because Christ has told us to do it. He told his disciples to do it. 
And the bread represents the body of our Lord Jesus Christ that was broken for us. His bones were not broken. Not a single bone on his body was broken, but his body was bruised and battered to the point that he was not recognizable. Um, The grape juice that you'll receive this morning is we do it because Jesus Christ told his disciples to do it. And the fruit of the vine, uh, grape juice, and it represents his blood. We do not drink blood. Uh, there are some uh, there are some false teaching out there that, that it's called transubstantiation, and they believe, and they some people teach and believe that the wine turns to blood when you drink it. Well, besides disgusting, it's not biblical, and we don't believe that. Um, it's the it, the the grape juice is just a picture of what. Uh, of our Savior's blood. And, and I want you to notice verse number 28 again, and then we'll look to our text. He says, For this is the blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And that's what I want to focus on this morning, remission. Without the shedding of blood, Hebrews tells us, there is no remission for sins. And the word remission means forgiveness. Now, uh, why is forgiveness important? God is a holy God. Mankind is a sinful people. And God and mankind, I would say it this way, mankind had to be reconciled to God. Because the wages of sin is death. The payment for sin, the just, biblical, God-ordained payment for sin is death. Eternal death. Eternal separation from God. And God is holy, and God cannot overlook sin. And so God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to die on a cross for you and for me and for the sins of the whole world, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so forgiveness is absolutely necessary for salvation. I want you to look back to Matthew chapter 6, and I want to look at a passage where Jesus is talking to his disciples about the matter of forgiveness. Now, as I've mentioned briefly, salvation from death and hell requires that a man be forgiven. Um, There is no salvation unless a person has been forgiven. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 says, "...in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace." And so, it's only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that a person is forgiven of their sins. When I was born into this world, I was born into this world a sinner, and I deserved death and hell. And uh, I actively sinned, and I willfully sinned, and I needed to be forgiven of my sin. And, And coming to church did not make me saved. And giving an offering did not make me saved. It did not bring salvation upon me. A person being baptized in water... Um, does not save a person's soul from death and hell. It does not give anyone forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness is something that is given by the offended to the offender. And just like I was the offender, so were all of us in this room. Now, all of us in this room have offended a lot of people in our lives, haven't we? We've offended at different levels. Maybe it was simply, uh, maybe for you it was simply taking a cookie from your grandmother's cookie jar when she had told you to wait until after dinner and you wanted to do it anyway. And you lied to her and you stole a cookie. Uh, Probably there would have been a few more offenses in our lives than that. Um, a A lot of the ways that we've offended other people is our ways that frankly we're ashamed of. Even though I was raised in a Christian home, there were times where I did not honor my father and my mother. And frankly, it was shameful to not honor my father and my mother. To bring shame to my mother, to bring heaviness to her that bear me. And so we've offended people, but 
when we look at, when we think about our sinfulness, and God reminds us of that in his word, and it's something we ought to be reminded of, he, he views those who are saved as saints, forgiven, righteous, but we are to be reminded of where we came from, offending others, offending God. You see, our sin, while we've sinned against one another and against people in general, uh, all of mankind has offended God. And so God loved us enough, though, to make a way for us to be reconciled to him, to forgive us. And so Jesus said there in Matthew 26 and verse 28, for this is my blood of the new, co- of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Romans 4 and verse 8 says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. And the word impute means to hold accountable. Aren't you glad today, and I don't know that everyone in this room can say this, but aren't you glad, many of you can say this, aren't you glad that God is not holding you accountable for all of your sin throughout your life? And I can tell you that is me. We do not claim to be perfect. We know we are not. We're honest about who we are. We do not glorify the sin. We do not, we do not exalt sin of our past. But God has forgiven me of everything. Do you know that? God has forgiven me of everything that I've ever done or ever will do in this life. And God has reconciled me to himself. And if you're a child of God, even while on occasion we still do that which is wrong, we still do sin, we have been reconciled to God and we will never be judged for our sins. And that is called forgiveness. That is called forgiveness. Now look at our text with me, if you would, in Matthew chapter 6, in verse number 12. Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. Okay, and um, he's talking to them about prayer, and I'm not going to focus on that this morning, but within his teaching, he's teaching his disciples to pray, he focuses on their need to be forgiven and to forgive others. Now, if I've been forgiven of so much, before I read the passage, if I've been forgiven of everything, everything I've ever done and everything I will do, And God is never going to judge me for my sin. Do you think that I should forgive other people in this life who wrong me? Yes. Yes. Do you think you should forgive other people in this life who wrong you? If you've been forgiven of everything, do you think you should forgive others? And the answer is yes. And that's what Jesus was teaching his disciples. Look at verse 12 of Matthew 6. He says, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Look down to verse 14. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. Dearly Father, I pray this morning that you'll speak to us by your word and by your spirit. Father, I pray that you would meet the need of every person in this room. I pray that our hearts would be open and receptive to your word. Lord, I know under the sound of my voice there are a great many people who have been wronged and hurt by other people in this life. And maybe there are some in this room who are still being hurt by others. And Father, in our flesh and in our society, we are not expected to forgive people who don't apologize and change their behavior. Lord, that is not how you measure things. And Father, you tell us to forgive others no matter what. Father, I pray you'd help us to understand why and how it is possible to forgive this morning. And Father, thank you for forgiving us of all things. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I do want to say before I move on, and this is not the topic of the message this morning, but if you have never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are not forgiven of your sin. And you need to know that. There is only salvation in one person, and that person is in Jesus Christ. 
and to receive the forgiveness of your sin, you need to receive Christ. You need to believe upon him and what he has done for you in dying and taking your sins upon his body, in dying upon that cross and being buried and having been raised again the third day. Okay. Um, there's, uh, Peter said it, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we, Peter said, must be saved. And that goes for all of us. Okay, salvation and forgiveness of sin is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. So forgiveness, the word can be defined as freedom. It can be defined as pardon, to be pardoned. Imagine if you were to go to court and you were to be accused of doing something and you had done it. You were guilty and you knew it. And yet the judge pardoned you. Um, for you we were forgiven you were let go. You, you were not made to pay the price that you rightfully deserve. That's forgiveness. The word forgiveness can be defined as deliverance and even liberty. And uh, I, again, I want to emphasize as we're looking at these verses, Jesus is talking to his disciples. Okay. So again, if you have never been, if you've never received Christ, you have not been forgiven of your sin. To be forgiven of your sin, you must receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. In, in another passage, Jesus was talking to his disciples as well in Mark chapter 11 and verse 25, and he said this, and, he, and notice the context of his statement. He says, and when ye stand praying, so he's talking about believers who are praying to God. These are believers in God, and they're praying to God, and he says, and when ye stand praying, forgive if ye have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. And I want... And, and you might have noticed as I read that passage, the Lord Jesus Christ links something together, and that is this. Positionally, we are in Christ. Those of us who have received Christ as our personal Savior, we are in Christ. We're forgiven of our sins, past, present, and future. Practically, I'm in Christ, okay, forgiven of my sins, past, present, and future, but practically, I can still sin. I can still respond to my wife in a wrong way. I can still... Uh, speak to my children in a sinful way, okay? I can still lose my temper, I, whatever, okay? We all are prone to different things. But a person who's saved can choose to walk in the flesh and disobey the Spirit of God and disobey the Word of God and sin against God. And so the Lord Jesus Christ in this passage is going to break this down to his disciples and he's going to tell them, I want you to be clean so that I can bless your life. But when you're living in sin or you're uh, sinning and I want you to come to me and I want you to say, Lord, would you forgive me of my sin? I want you to be reconciled to me. But know this, you can't be reconciled to me as long as you're harboring bitterness and resentment and not forgiving other people who have offended you. And I want you to see it in this way. It's, a, it's, it's tremendous hypocrisy, really. When we come to our Heavenly Father and say, Lord, would you forgive me for uh, uh, the fleshly way and the ungodly way that I spoke to that person, while at the same time harboring unforgiveness towards someone who has wronged me? Do you see the hypocrisy there? Now, notice how the Lord Jesus Christ teaches his disciples in verse 12, beginning there, because I want you to see, first of all, there's a command to be forgiven. And really, the command to be forgiven is a command to be clean. And, and I cannot emphasize that enough. As Jesus talks to his disciples, he longs for his followers to be right with him. Okay. It's possible for a person to be saved and yet not be right with God. Uh, we have a relationship with him. We're saved, but our fellowship is broken. Okay. Look at verse number 12. He says, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, this is a model that Jesus is giving for all who follow him to follow. Forgive us our debts. This is how we're to pray. Forgive us our debts. Forgive me for how I've sinned against you, Lord, just like I'm forgiving those who have sinned against me. That's what he's saying. The word forgive means to let alone, to let go to let go. I recently read of an attorney who 
after reading some of these scripture passages, had come to the conclusion that he needed to cancel some of the debts that people owed him for the business that they had transacted with him. And so uh, all the clients who owed him money for more than six months, he drafted letters explaining his decision and its biblical basis and sent 17 debt-canceling letters via certified mail to his clients who had not paid. One by one, the letters were returned by the Postal Service, unsigned and undelivered. They all must have been on vacation, or they all must have moved away. (laughs) Can you imagine that? The letter came, you reject the letter, because I don't want to receive that letter, it's another bill. And actually inside, it was a letter of forgiveness, explaining why. But all 17 rejected it. The command to be forgiven, to forgive, is it means you need to let go of the bitterness. Sometimes we harbor, we harbor bitterness in our hearts. Sometimes we won't forgive. Sometimes we take up another person's offense. Have you ever done that? Someone else is offended. Someone offends your wife and you. And as a husband, we have a role to protect our wives. But sometimes a wife can take up a husband's offense. Sometimes parents take up their children's offense, you know. The school teacher who's too hard on your kid, you know. She's obviously out for your kid, or he's obviously out to get your kid. And, and a parent can take up uh, the offense for their child. Sometimes church members do that for one another. Sometimes we do it for our neighbors or a coworker. Uh, but it mean, forgiveness means to let go, to put it away. Now, the word debts, you see it there in verse 12, means something that is owed. And in our passage, it means a fault. A sin, it, it, it represents sin. And so the disciples were clearly commanded by Jesus to ask God to forgive them. Jesus had no reason to pray to be forgiven for anything. But the disciples did. Jesus knew his followers were going to sin on occasion. And, and Jesus wanted his followers to be able to fulfill his commission, the great commission to take the gospel into all the world and to, for others to be able to see Christ in them. And of course, that's not possible when we're living in sin. And so Jesus wants his disciples to be clean. In 1 John 1.8, it says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And I doubt there's anyone here this morning who denies struggling with sin and occasionally sinning. And I would imagine and hope that the, mo- the majority of us here would confess our sins to God when we sin. You ought to do that. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When you were saved, that day you received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Can you remember that day? When you received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, he washed you white as snow. He took all your sins away. You've probably sinned against God since then. You don't need to be saved again because you're in Christ. But, but if you want a right relationship with God, you need to ask him to forgive you when you sin against him. You need to confess, agree with God about your sin. And 1 John 1, 9 says he's faithful to forgive and he's just to forgive. Those of us who are married know this very well. Have you ever wronged your spouse? Do you ever ask her to forgive you when you wrong her? You should. Ma'am, do you ever ask your husband to forgive you when you wrong him? You should. It's called having a healthy relationship. It's called being right with one another. Some of us are in the bad habit of we just go through life uh, willy-nilly and we sin against our spouse here and say things that aren't right there and walk in the flesh here and there and she does the same to us. And you know what? We think that's normal. And it's terrible. That's not a healthy relationship. You say, well, that's our relationship. It's not healthy. Change it. Care about one another. Love one another. If you, if, you, if you wrong her, apologize to her. And if he apologizes to you, and even if he doesn't apologize to you, forgive him and forgive her. So, The question isn't so much that we sin. We know that we sin. 
And the question is not so much, are we asking God to forgive? The question of the morning is, are you being forgiven when you ask God to forgive you? Because it's God's will for you and for me to be clean. Uh, In John chapter 13 and verse 8, uh, Peter said unto the Lord, he said, Thou shalt never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. And the idea is, someone who's saved, you've been forgiven, you've been made clean, but you still sin, and you need to wash your feet from time to time. <laughs> you know, uh, Some of my kids love wearing flip-flops. You know how dirty their feet get? Your feet get like that? I mean, they're terribly dirty, filthy. Put them in the bathtub. Got to clean them up. They're dirty. You know what? Some of us are like that. We've been wearing a lot of flip-flops lately. But it's not dirt. It's sin. And there needs to be a cleansing. Christ was teaching his disciples that they needed to be cleansed and to be clean daily if they were going to have the fellowship that God wanted to have with them. And if they, if, if they were going to have the communion and the partnership that God desires to have with us. You know, we've been commanded to be clean. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, the latter part says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. God says that. Be ye holy, for I am holy. And yet Proverbs chapter 24, and verse 16 says, That a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. And so we walk in a wicked world. We have ungodly flesh. We say yes to the flesh more often than we'd like to admit. And there needs to be a cleansing. There needs to be an agreement with God about our sin. And we need to ask God to forgive. We need to be clean. And when we are, God always forgives. And his forgiveness positions us to be partakers of Christ's fullness and his power and his strength and his grace. And we need that. We need his fellowship. Don't you want his partnership? You know, the biggest nightmare that I would have pastoring would be trying to pastor without Christ's partnership in the pastorate. Me just doing my best in my flesh to pastor people and to preach God's word and to study God's word without the spirit of God giving me grace in my, in my understanding and the ability to preach the word of God and making decisions along the way and giving me wisdom and discernment in counseling matters. The most terrifying thought I can have about pastoring would be doing it outside of the grace of God. You know, that's true for being a dad. That's true for being a husband. That's true no matter where I find myself in this life. And you know what? Going through life with unconfessed sin just piling up. It doesn't position us to have more of the grace of God. Look at verse number 12 again. There's one very small two-letter word I want you to see. It says, he says, I want you to pray this way. Pray to your Father and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, look at that word as. He says, I want you to pray to your Heavenly Father, and I want you to ask God to forgive you when you sin against Him. And I want you to pray and ask Him to forgive you in the very same way that you're forgiving those who have wronged you. Now, you need to answer this question this morning in your heart before God. Do you want God to forgive you the very same way you're forgiving people who have wronged you? Do you want God to deal with you the way that you deal with other people who have wronged you? So the command to be forgiven in verse 12 is a command to be clean. It's also a command to forgive. Again, I'll I'll remind you of Mark 11, verse 25. It says, and when you stand praying, forgive. If you have ought against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. You know, as God's children, we're, we're literally commanded to forgive everyone for everything. There is nothing that a person can do to you that you should not forgive them for. And, there are, and people can do some pretty horrendous, horrific things. You 
In Matthew 18, in verse 21, Peter came to Jesus and he said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Should I forgive? You know, Peter, Peter proposes, Lord, when someone wrongs me, should I forgive them like seven times? That's, seven's the number of perfection in the Bible, you know, that's a good number. That's a lot of times, you imagine that. I'll, Peter's saying, I'll let it go seven times. Do you think that'd be enough? And Jesus says, not until seven times, until 70 times seven. That's 490 times. And he didn't give us a specific number so we could keep track. He gave us a number that is overwhelmingly huge for someone who's been wronged. And really what Jesus was after when he was teaching his disciples this passage in verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, what Jesus was teaching his disciples was, it was coming out of a heart. And I'll say it this way, his motivation for teaching his disciples was he wanted his followers, and I will say it this way, he wants his followers to be clean today. Now think with me for just a moment who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to Peter and James and John and Matthew and Mark and Luke. And he's talking to these men who have, from a practical perspective, uh, forsaken all and given all to follow him. He's talking to men to whom he's going to give the great commission and they're going to fulfill it and they're going to take the gospel into all the world. Uh, and they're going to do it. And Jesus knows that it's going to be impossible for them to follow him if they won't forgive those who wrong them. And Jesus knew that they were going to be wrong. You know, I think the disciples, for much of the time that they were with Jesus, they thought that he was going to set up his earthly kingdom. And you remember them even arguing amongst themselves, who is going to be on Jesus' right hand? They weren't thinking about the cross. And that's what we're thinking about this morning. His disciples weren't thinking about the cross. They were thinking about who was going to be most important and who was going to have the most lauded and applauded position. But Jesus knew what he was calling and leading his disciples to do, and that was a life of self-denial and a life of selflessness. And he knew that these men were going to be beaten. They were going to be mocked. I mean, I say that about the disciples, and we just let that go by, you know, big deal, we've heard it, you know. Think about it, did any of us like to be mocked and ridiculed, rejected? And every one of them outside of John was going to die a martyr's death because they were followers of Jesus Christ. History says that John was boiled in oil up to his neck and then exiled to the Isle of Patmos. He was dipped in hot oil and then exiled to the Isle of Patmos where he penned down the book of Revelation. My point is this. The disciples were going to be hurt and wronged, and they were going to be offended. And if they were anything like you and I, they were going to be tempted to become bitter and frustrated and resentful, and they were not going to forgive. They were going to struggle with it. And Jesus looked into the eyes of his disciples, and he said, I want you to be clean, and the only way for you to be clean is if you will forgive the people who wrong you. I wish that I could say this morning that being a believer and being a child of God, being a Christian, being a member of a local church means that everybody's always happy and we as Christians always make the right choice and, uh, and all of our brothers and sisters in Christ always treat us how we want to be treated and we all get the respect that we would like to have and it's all just hunky-dory and easy-breezy and everybody's just happy all the time. But you know what? That's not the way it is. And because we all have flesh, and sometimes we walk in it, and we ought not to, but we do. And when we do, we wrong one another, and there's a need to forgive one another. I want you to notice another truth, and that's in verse 15. And there's a condemnation if we choose not to forgive. What, what happens if I choose not to forgive somebody for something that they've done to me? Or for something that they've done? Maybe they didn't do it to me. Maybe they did it to somebody else. Maybe you're holding someone in prison in your heart... Um, in, your, in your thoughts for something that they did to someone else. Or maybe it is to you. Look at verse number 15. Uh, he says this. 
For, but if ye forgive not men their trespasses, and so that is an option. You and I can choose not to forgive. Neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Look at it again. If ye forgive not, neither will your Father forgive you. So there's the command to be forgiven, motivated because God wants us to be clean so we can bless our lives. But if we choose not to forgive, there's condemnation. This doesn't mean death and hell, because when a person has received the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, they're forgiven of all their sins, past, present, and future, even the ungodly, wicked sin of unforgiveness. And that person who has received Christ is in Christ, in his righteousness, and even though while they're saved and in his righteousness, so they may sow to the flesh and choose not to forgive other people and be bitter and resentful, They're still saved. They're still going to heaven someday when they die. But Jesus is talking to his disciples about this life. He's not talking about the next life. He's not talking about eternal life. He's talking about this life. He's talking to his followers who don't follow him. What can a a person who is a believer in Christ, who doesn't follow Christ in forgiveness, what can that person expect? And the answer is, uh, excuse me, condemnation. Consequences. There are consequences for unforgiveness. If ye forgive not, neither will your Father forgive. That's what he says in verse 15. And so not only is unforgiveness clearly condemned and, and identified as sin, but so too the believer who chooses not to forgive. Go with me over to Matthew chapter 18 for just a moment. Matthew chapter 18. It's not too far away. And look at me, with me at verse 23, and I've, I've read this passage to you before, but I want you to see it, Matthew chapter 18 and verse 23. The Bible says, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. The king would represent God. The servants would represent God's children. Verse 24, And when he had begun to reckon, the king, he's accounting, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. Now the Bible doesn't tell us if they're talents of silver or talents of gold. Talents were used to measure. It was an amount. So we're talking about a lot of precious metal. If it's, if it's uh, silver, um, uh, the talents would have equaled more than $16 million. Okay. We're talking about a lot of money. The king, uh, he looks at his servants and he found, finds he has a servant which owes him over $16 million. And I'm, that is the lowest I can go. Okay. It could be, it could be uh, five times that much or more. And it says, verse 25, But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had in payment to be made. There are consequences for sin debt. Verse 26, The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Now, the guy couldn't pay his debt. There's no way he was going to be able to pay his debt. Not in this life or the next. He couldn't pay his debt. But he, he asked for mercy in verse 26, and verse 27 says, Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. He forgave him a debt of at least $16 million. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence. And if I'm using the same scale, if, if 10,000 talents of silver equals $16 million, then a hundred pence equals about $14. So this guy who has just been forgiven of $16 million, a $16 million debt, he goes out and he finds the one guy who owes him 14 bucks. What do you think he's going to do with this guy? And he laid hands on him, it says in verse 28, the latter part, and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. Do you see the hypocrisy? Now, in that passage, it's an illustration of you and me in our lives today. God has forgiven all who are saved 
of a sin debt that is incredibly huge. And I started the message this morning by saying, God has forgiven me of everything that I have ever done against God. And all sin is against God. God has forgiven me for everything. And when I go out and someone says something or does something or whatever, and I choose not to forgive that person for what they've done, no matter how small and petty, no matter how big it may seem to me, there is nothing anybody can do to me that is worse than what I have done in sinning against God. And it looks to God like what we just read. God's forgiven me of a $16 million debt, and I won't forgive this fella of a $14 debt. It's pathetic. Now, I'm not downplaying things that are done to people. And some things that happen in this life are truly wrong and despicable. But what God is saying in no uncertain terms to his disciples is if ye forgive not, neither will will your father forgive you. And so a person is left, I might say it like this, with an insurmountable sin debt. Look again at verse 12 of of Matthew chapter 6. In verse 12 he says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. God, deal with me just like I'm dealing with those who have wronged me. In verse 15, but if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And so choosing not to forgive somebody else is to choose not to be forgivable by God. Now I'm talking about a believer. I'm talking about someone who's saved. And the picture might be this. And so let's say someone has wronged me and I'm choosing not to forgive that person. And I might say it this way, God would never expect me to forgive them. Or maybe I might say it this way, they've never asked me to forgive them. Or maybe I could say, well, they haven't stopped doing what, they're doing what they were doing, and that was wrong. They're still doing it. God doesn't expect me to forgive them. They haven't repented. And so I choose not to forgive them. I'm going about my life. I'm being a pastor and have four kids and trying to be a good husband, and I'm going along through life, and you know what? I, I say something I shouldn't, or, or uh, I have a bad attitude. I'm pouting about something. And so I'm convicted about my pouting, and I go to the Lord and say, Lord, would you forgive me for my pouting? Now, can I expect God to forgive me of my pouting and, and, and us be reconciled and be in close fellowship? Yes or no? No. Not while I'm holding bitterness and harboring bitterness and unforgiveness in my heart towards someone who's wronged me. And again, I'll remind you of Mark chapter 11. He literally, in the context of prayer, says, when you're praying, you need to forgive. You cannot expect God to forgive you if you will not forgive other people. It is the epitome of hypocrisy. It has no place in a godly person's life. And I'll say it this way. We call ourselves Christians, little Christ, Christ followers. Well, it is impossible to follow Jesus Christ who forgives people and not forgive people. Does that make sense? It's impossible. I can go through life, and and the reality of life is... Anybody who goes through life is going to be wronged by people. You're going to be wronged by people. People are going to mistreat you. People are going to say things about you that are wrong, and they're going to lie about you. Things are going to be done. You say, Pastor, thanks for such an uplifting message this morning. You know, it's true, though. Life is not easy. And things are going to be done wrong to you. And you, as a follower of Christ, are expected to forgive people. I don't know what radio station it was. I think it was like News Talk or something like that. The other day, I got in the truck and I was heading somewhere to make a visit and the radio was already on and I just caught a part of it. And I don't know who the commentator was or the talk show host was, but he made this comment. He was talking about Democrats and Republicans and he was talking about hypocrisy and about this group won't forgive and this group and that. I don't know what it was about, but I remember this and what he said was completely wrong. And his statement was this. Nobody should be expected to forgive somebody who doesn't apologize for it. Let me just tell you, that's not true. God expects you and me as his followers, as Christ followers. If you're not a follower of Christ, God doesn't expect this of you. But if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, God expects you and me 
to forgive everyone of everything every single time. It's been said that unforgiveness is like a poison pill and a person could take it and look at the person who's offended them and say, I'm going to make you pay for what you've done to me and pop that poison pill in their own mouth. It's destroying you. Forgive. There's a cure for unforgiveness. There's a cure for unforgiveness. And that's in verse 14. He says, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. The cure for unforgiveness is to obey Christ's teaching and let it go. It's called faith. It's called, I'm going to walk by faith. That's taking God at his word. That's taking Christ at his word, his teaching at his word. I'm not going to walk by sight. From a human perspective, they deserve punishment. And by the way, that's the government's job to enforce that. It's not your job. The cure for unforgiveness is to forgive. In 1 Corinthians 10.13, and you might say, I don't know that I can do it, Seth. And I want you to know you can. In 1 Corinthians 10.13, it says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. And I want you to know unforgiveness is so common today. There are children that are bitter against their parents. There are parents that are bitter against their children. There are husbands who are bitter against their wives, and wives who are bitter against their husbands. Coworkers bitter against each other. Neighbors who hate each other. Resentment, unforgiveness, holding people in the jail cell of unforgiveness. It's common to man, and he says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation, and I can say it this, this way, but will with the temptation to not forgive, God will make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. God doesn't command us to forgive because they're sorry. God doesn't command us to forgive because they've stopped doing what was wrong against us. He tells us to forgive. I'm reminded of of Stephen, a godly deacon who, in the book of Acts, it's recorded how he's preaching the word of God, and the people in the city drag him out of the city, and they take out stones, and they begin to stone him. He falls down onto his knees, and he cries out, And he asks God to forgive them while they're stoning him. They hadn't stopped. They weren't sorry. And they actually kill him. They actually take his life. And and Stephen, a godly deacon, had already forgiven them while they were in the process of killing him. They hated him. We could go to Genesis chapter 50 and we could look at Joseph's life. His, his, uh, what was it, uh, Uncle Laban and... what do we got? Uncle, or it would be Uncle Esau. Yeah, Uncle, Uncle Esau, Grandpa Laban, idolaters, wicked, uh, uh, selfish, deceitful men. Uh, he, his father, Jacob, wasn't the most discerning fellow and sent him out to his brothers. His brothers hated him and lied against him. Most of them wanted to kill him. They ended up selling him into slavery. He's, he's wrongfully treated by his employer, Potiphar, his employer's wife, falsely accuses him. He ends up in jail for years. Someone, some people think upwards to 13 years. And when God finally raises uh, Joseph to the second most powerful man in all of Egypt, his brothers are, are standing before him asking for grain, and, and they realize who he is, and they're terrified, and they fall down before him, and his answer to them is, Fear not! Am I in the place of God? which you meant for evil, God meant for good, to bring to pass this day to save many alive. And I want you to know something, no matter what has happened in your life, and it may be terrible, 
No matter what has happened in your life, I want you to know something. You and I, we need to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's give it over to God and say, God, this is what's happened. You know all that's happened in my life. But Lord, I'm going to follow Christ and I'm going to forgive as he has forgiven me. And you know what? Leave the details to God. Leave the details to God. We've been forgiven completely. Colossians 3.13 says, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. That's the, that is the bar that God sets for forgiveness. Well, I'll forgive him if he changes. That's not the bar. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is unconditional. Micah 7, 19 says that God casts all our sins into the depths of the sea. Psalm 103, 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Hebrews 10, 17 says, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. And God isn't suffering from some sort of supernatural amnesia where he can't remember. God knows everything about our sin. Every little thing. And yet God chooses not to hold us accountable for it. It's amazing. And friends, Christians follow Christ, and Christians forgive others. Are you a follower of Christ? Have you ever been forgiven? Hebrews 9.22 says, without shedding of blood is no remission. We're going to sing a hymn before the Lord's Supper here this this morning, and I want you to take your hymnals and I want you to turn with me to hymn number 315. Hymn number 315. And I, before we sing this hymn, I want to encourage you, if you're, if you're here, whether you're a member or you're not a member, you're welcome to partake of the elements, the, the juice and the bread. Um, if you're not a believer, you shouldn't partake, okay? When we partake of these elements, it's not for refreshment, okay? It's not a snack. Um, we're doing it out of obedience to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And when we partake of these elements, what we're really testifying by putting them in our mouth, we're testifying that I have benefited. I am saved because Christ's body was broken and his blood was shed for me. That's what it is. If you believe that, then you partake. If you don't believe that, then don't. I would also give you a caution if you are a child of God, but you're living with known sin in your life. You need to partake because you've been commanded to partake, but I want you to know you're endangering your life by living in sin as a child of God. Your life is in danger. And Paul told the Corinthian church that some believers are sick and unhealthy, and some have even died. Because they're willfully living sinful, disobedient lives against God. Can I encourage you as a friend? If you're a child of God, if you truly believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, live for him. Let go of the idols and follow Christ, okay? Let's all sing together.